Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Colby Cast, your place for community and conversation about pop culture and storytelling. Today's episode is going to be about Andor. So I'm here with Caleb. Hello, Caleb. Hello. Luke is off hockeying again. Hockey has stolen Luke away from us one more time. So he'll have to give his thoughts on Andor at another time. But here we are to talk about episode four of Andor, which is entitled Aldani. Uh, before we get to Andor, though, though I wanted to uh, bring up something that I literally just read before we started recording, which is according to The Hollywood Reporter, Christian Bale wants to be in a Star Wars movie. Instant reaction. Love it. No, thank you for, for more, more, more. Give me more. I I'm excited. I want to see Christian Bale in a movie too. Star Wars movie too. What about what, like le, what kind of a character would you want to see Christian Bale play in a Star Wars? Would you want to see him like be a scoundrel, a Jedi, um, an alien, not a stormtrooper? Because you know they're just unless they take off their helmets, like a rebel spy. Um, what kind of a character would you like to see him play? In Rebels, who's the turncoat with the, like, chops? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Callus. He could be like Callus. So like a, like a like a spy on the inside. Oh, I, that would be good. He would be cool at that. I just think he played the villain in Thor so well that, I mean, Batman, he's a vigilante, so he's not necessarily the best guy to begin with. So if he has that edge to him as a sort of villain-esque type... I think that would be really, really cool. That is a good point. Um, w- would he be a hero or would he be a villain? He could he could pull off either. You know what? I even think that he could get away with playing one of the Hutt family. He could be like Zero the Hutt. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, that, and he would probably go through the motions because he's a method actor, right? He's one of those guys that does crazy, crazy things. So anyway, I just thought that was pretty cool. Who knows? I mean, it's not like it's even a, a, a report or an announcement or anything. It's just he has done an interview where he says he would love to be in Star Wars. So yeah, make that happen. Um, Kathleen Kennedy. Yes, just do it. Or Ryan Johnson. Maybe he'll be in the Ryan Johnson trilogy. Oh yeah, let's do it. Let's go. <laughs> uh Back on track, and let's talk about Andor. Episode 4, Aldani, another tense, slow burn, just heavy episode, I thought. And I loved all of that. I loved all of it. What what did you think in general about the episode? Tense, like you said. Just absolutely tense the whole time. And... I don't think that's ever going to go away. I think in the permanence of this show, it's going to be tense. But it also is doing the same where like the tempo is slow, but it's also a full sprint. I I need to find a word for it so I can actually vocalize it on our episodes. But I, I'm, I love it. I love the tone of the show. And I love that it's being drawn out like a full the full episode was one day. Next episode is probably going to pick up pretty much where they left off. But you said it when you were watching the episode with me uh, a little bit ago. They're all business. This is their livelihood and it's there's no uh, confusion in the way it's portrayed. And they are the I mean, you're talking about the like the group of rebels that he that we are introduced to or just the show in general. The show in general, but individually, each group. There's the Imperials, all business. There's the Rebels that are growing, all business. I don't want to go into it too much, but everybody has their goal, and they're working every aspect of it to achieve that goal. Yeah, that's a good point. And one thing I noticed is that so far, four episodes in, Cassian Andor doesn't stop moving forward. He doesn't, number one, he doesn't even stop moving, right? But... He's constantly going from one place to the next. He's always on some type of uh, mission, meaning he is done meeting one person. Like the first first episode, we see him on um, on Priox, Priox Morlana. He's looking for his sister. Then he has the he gets into the the tussle and the big problem with those two guys that are the corpos. And then he's on Ferrix, and he goes to see Bix, and then he goes to see Brasso, and then he goes to see. Uh, Marva, and I'm getting a little bit out of order, but you get my point. Like, he's constantly, he has something he needs to do. Then by the end of the third episode, he's basically running for his life. But again, 
like he said in the beginning of this episode, he agreed to save his skin. He gets out of the of the um, the issue that he got into on Ferrix, but before he knows it, boom, he's heading towards something again. Now, he 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 has made an agreement with Luthen, and he's now going to Aldani to join this group. So. And then that sets off a whole other set of events for him. But he's always moving forward. And that's what I think I see the most from the show, which is, like you referenced, it's such a slow burn. But because Cassian is constantly going in a forward direction, there's this pressure that that is mounting. Because he's at this fast-paced character in this slow burn story. And I think it's so effective. Um just I, I I just keep being blown away by him. He's lethal, right? He's he's calculating. He's smart. He's strong. He seems to know how to do anything that needs to be done. Like he has the skill to. He can fly, right? He can fight. Oh man, such. Uh, he I enjoyed him as a character in Rogue One uh, immensely. But there's so many good um, um t- interesting characters in that movie that. I don't think he gets lost, but he definitely is part of a bigger group of great characters. In this one, we're getting to see just the little details, right? And um, he carries a weight with him that I think reflects the, the show, too, because every single scene, I feel like, has weight in this show. I don't think Cassian is immature, but you can definitely see the growth between just this episode to Rogue One as a film. Oh, yeah. You see him really just take everything and say, we need to get the job done in Rogue One, versus now with Luthen on the ship, they're like, I'm going to give you options. I can drop you off and never see you again. You can come with me and you can make this money. You can get started. And I loved the line where he said, inevitably, you're going to get killed by these bastards, essentially, where... He knows he has that Cassian has this fire inside of him to fight and fight and fight nonstop. But when it gets to a point where he's given the two choices, he sort of wants to take the. It's not necessarily the easy way out, yeah. but it's definitely easier than fighting the 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 overlords. Really, yeah. so I don't know. As great as Cassian is, I'm a big fan of Luthen. Mm-hmm. I love that we got to learn a little bit more about him today. I just. I I I I don't know. I don't want to say he's one of my favorite characters because he's just so brand new to us, but he's definitely has a stranglehold on my attention. He's extremely compelling. So let we'll get we'll definitely talk about Luthen. There's a lot to talk about about him in this character. Uh but we'll, let's just jump it right into the episode because it it literally picks up right where the other one left off. So I, I keep on thinking to myself that like this is this could be viewed as a movie, right? And and the first the first three episodes could almost be a self contained movie with a beginning, middle, and end. Of course, the end is a cliffhanger. But here we go. We pick up l- like l- literally where we left off in the fourth and in, in the third episode. So we see, you know, we see a lot of cool things happen on this ship. Really, the most compelling thing to me, though, is what you started to allude to, and it's a conversation between Luthen and Cassian. Both of them are playing games. Both of them are trying to outmaneuver the other. Luthen seemingly really wants Cassian on board. He's got him on board of his ship, but he wants him on board with the cause. He wants him on board with whatever this rebellion is that he's helping build. I don't even know if it's could be called a rebellion yet, right? It's so early on. So he gives him his options, and you alluded to it, and I think it was the safe choice for uh, for Cassian. He wanted to be just dropped off. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the easy way, like you said, because I don't think Cassian does anything easy. <laughs> it just doesn't seem like he does. But it's definitely the safest one. Like, he's gotten himself out of the hot spot on, on uh, Ferrix, and but he's not sure he wants to go jumping right into another fire with this guy who just shot him off into space. So he's just like, drop me off. But what does Luthen do? He's he's a he's a very sly guy. He knows what Andor needs, and he offers him not only money, but he also offers him purpose. Right. So 
he goes and he tells him, you know, you could really stick a stick a, a stick him really stick him in the eye, right, uh, about the empire, and he offers them this job, two hundred thousand credits, where he's willing to pay what was it forty thousand for that box that Cassian had. Now he's offering him a job that he's right up front with, lots of danger, uh, but also uh, a lot of <laughs> credits to be won if it's pulled off. Uh, and then Cassian, I think, wisely says, uh, "If I if I live, right? he's very realistic about it." Um, what stood out to you in that scene, uh, where we're just you know watching them converse basically while they're in hyperspace and, and that nice little ride that Luthen has? Yeah, best ship. I love it. I I I hope we get a full tour. I would even be upset if they dedicated one of the eighteen episodes just to like. Hey, MTV, check out my crib, and it's just the ship. Um, but Cassian, he's very insightful, like you said earlier. And he, they they jump into hyperspace, and he's already asking, what powers this ship? He's trying to not only analyze Luthen more, but he's really just trying to understand and learn more. He's also trying to put himself in a position where he's learning about the ship in case he needs to sort of get out of Dodge, you know? Yep. And you see, we called it, like, the ship giving him, like, the stink eye, right? <laughs> he's starting to see, like, if he's going to fly out of here when when they actually touch ground. But um, as much as Cassian doesn't stop moving, his brain is mm-hmm. really the, the, the engine. It's mm-hmm. the motor. And you see it just within the conversation. And I, I love Star Wars storytelling for a lot of reasons, but there hasn't been a lot of action other than the huge, uh, like, pretty much fight scene, right? Yep, yep, yep. But that doesn't mean that the episode was boring. It does, they do a great job of quite literally telling the story yep. through dialogue and through body language. And I don't I don't know how else to say it other than they're telling us the story and we're just listening to it with with everything else that's happening on the screen. In that scene, it really sets up a lot more than just the episode. And I really enjoy that because I can take the dialogue that they had just within the ship and look back on it six episodes from now and be like, okay, this was still relevant. Because he even says, you're going to die doing this. And he does in Rogue One. We know that. We love the character. We love the show, regardless of uh, knowing the outcome, knowing that he's not an immortal being. But I just, I love that they have these tidbits in different scenes that you can revisit later and uh, are already pretty much laying the foundation for a lot of really interesting things to come. Since I know you have um, a slight obsession with Luthen's ship, we did learn a little bit more about it. We don't have a name. At least they haven't dropped a name on it, like the Millennium Falcon or the Ghost. Uh, was the little was the little ship in the Ghost? Was it called the Phantom? Yes. Yeah. So we don't have a name like that yet for Luthen's ship, but they did tell us that it's um, Fondor Hallcraft. So if you want to come up with a cool name like Fondy or something, I don't know. But that's what the ship is. That's like the the model of the ship. So, but I I think it would be cool to have a name. It does deserve a cool name. Like, there's a, a ship in uh, the Poe Dameron comic series that one of the antagonists has. It's called the Carrion Spike. And it's it's like a long, sharp ship. And it's got, like, a cloaking device and everything. That was in a couple episodes of uh, of the Clone Wars animated series, too. Oh, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, uh, I don't remember. It was the beginning, middle of end. Or end of that. I think it was beginning and... It was, I don't remember the general's name, but it was the one that sort of looked like a spider and always had like the... (laughs) Right? Yeah. The one for uh, spoilers of uh, Clone Wars, the final season, the one that uh, Anakin finally uh, kills in in a quite violent way that's showing Anakin is getting closer and closer to the dark side. Um, So from there, oh man, I'd love to hear your reaction because we haven't talked about this at all, but... when we're done with that scene with Luthen and Andor and Cassian, um, the scene shifts and we see a planet and then the, the, the name of the planet pops up and it's like Coruscant. Coruscant. What did you think when you saw uh, that we're heading back to Coruscant and Andor? 
I don't want to go too much into it because I don't have the words, I don't have the names, I don't have the history to explain it, but I was just excited to see it back on the screen. It was similar to in, in Obi-Wan Kenobi, just seeing all the, the, the city that we just want to see more of, same thing. Same thing here with Coruscant and knowing the the facts and knowing everything that happened and is going to happen there, I just wanted to see what they were going to give us. And they they gave more than I thought they would. Mm. But just seeing the name on the screen, I was like, all right, let's go. Yeah, big. I got really excited too because I don't know that we've been at, in Star Wars stories. I don't know that we've been back to Coruscant since um, maybe... Uh, what, what was it? Uh, the final season of Clone Wars, right? When, um, when we have the first uh, Ahsoka arc where she goes and meets the sisters, the Martez sisters. Um, I'm trying to think of where it may have popped up in other stories, and and I don't think it's been in Bad Batch yet. Uh, and as far as live action, I don't think they've done anything in on Coruscant since Revenge of the Sith. So, you know, f- for Live action, it's been, I mean, I, I don't have enough fingers to count on my hands. It's been a lot of years, <laughs> right, since we've been there. And I, I got so excited when I saw that. And then I was excited even more so because under the name Coruscant that they said, they put uh, the capital of the galaxy. And, I mean, of course, that's, that's known, but I don't know, just the Star Wars nerd in me went like, ooh, yeah, so five years before the Battle of Yavin, Coruscant was still considered the capital of the galaxy. So I thought that that, as far as Star Wars lore and timeline and that kind of stuff, uh, I thought that that was really, uh, I enjoyed it very, very much. And I thought it looked great in the scenes that we got on the planet. None of them were at night, where I was used to seeing a lot of night scenes on Coruscant through the prequels and whatnot, and and even the Clone Wars. Uh, But this was a lot during the day, and... Oh, I just thought it looked wonderful. They did a great job bringing us back to Coruscant. So, uh, that, but we, why were we there was the question. We see um, the Imperial Sector Bureau, or I'm sorry, Security Bureau, which is a big deal in Rebels, the ISB, right? They're constantly, you know, on Lothal. They're constantly running away from the ISB or getting entangled with the ISB. And now we see it in live action. We see the headquarters. And, oh, my goodness, what a... Uh, what a just um bureaucratic i mean it's named a bureau for for good reason just a bureaucratic nightmare we see this big open this big room where there's all these people sitting in there and just talking and they were talking so fast uh and it really moved like that uh, we 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 meet a new character um lieutenant uh partagas who speaks faster than anybody and he's all business. He's just ready to go. We meet um, Deidre or Dedra, who is the um, the character that wants that that um, that cube, the that um, the, the star path that Andor had on Phoenix. We meet Blevin, who is going to be uh, basically he's in charge of Morlano Six and that whole the whole fiasco we see later on. And we also get a Scarif name drop, which in one of the very fast moving dialogue. We see one of the last things we see is that there's more construction materials being sent towards Scarif, which I thought was fun. I also like the name drop where they mentioned Ryloth's system. Yep. I just made me think of Hera and I was like, let's see her. Bring her on. <laughs> <laughs> Live action Hera. Let's go soon enough. Uh, right. But this what's funny is that we've been talking. We talked a lot about in the last episode how Andor is like the mo- least Star Wars Star Wars show. But at the same time. It is doing such a great job of feeling like it's really lived in the Star Wars galaxy. They're talking about very Star Warsy things, um, like that kind of stuff. So awesome! I mean, just just so cool. Um, so then we we uh, we switch away from Coruscant and we go back to to uh, to Andor to Cassian. Now they've arrived on Aldani where he's now going to meet this crew that he's going to pull this job with. And I think it was pretty interesting the way the, the side of Luthen that we saw in this, in this scene, right? So he first, he tells Cassian that he needs to uh, come up with a new name. He comes up with Clem, which, you know, interestingly was his adopted father's name, Clem Andor. 
and he goes with that name. And then immediately Luthen just starts referred to him, re- referring to him as Clem, right? He's another person that is all business, just all business. Um, he tells him, oh, and he gives him uh, his necklace, right? He calls it a down payment. And this necklace was so cool. So it's part Kyber and then part Skystone. And then he references something about a an uprising against the uh, Rakatan invaders. So another thing I love about Star Wars is they just drop these things that have so much history. Uh, and I can't, I'm thinking of the line that Obi-Wan says to Anakin that I can't remember the name of the planet, but he says, it's when Anakin says, um, uh, I mean, Obi-Wan says in Revenge of the Sith, he tells Anakin, you saved my neck. And he goes, you know, something about like, nine, I've saved your neck nine times. And uh, Obi-Wan says, no, no, no. Or he goes eight times or something. That that business on whatever the planet is, I can't remember, doesn't uh, doesn't count. There's a whole story right there, right? Uh, so again, this crystal, this down payment that Luthen tells Andor, take no less than 50000 for it if things go wrong. There's a whole story there. And Oh, it's just something that could be spun out in a book or a comic or who knows what. And I just think it's so creative and love it. Um, then we meet Vel. Vel is arriving to meet Luthen because she knows he's coming. She's not expecting to meet a new person. But Luthen, it, this is where we really see a different side of him. Because in this conversation he has with Vel, he even... He he's introducing Cassian to her, the idea of Cassian. Clem, Clem yes. <laughs> she doesn't like it, and he's just saying he's he's a he's a rental. He even calls him he pretty much disposable at one point. And I don't know, do you think he's being genuine there? Because he's fighting hard to bring Cassian into the fold, but he's telling Vel, oh, he's a, he's expendable, he's disposable. Do you believe him or do you think he is being the ultimate, I got to play both sides here and get what I want? I definitely think it's playing both sides and I don't think it's in a despicable way. He's not being deceitful. Um, But it's interesting that he knows exactly how the conversation is going to go. Tells Cassian exactly how it's going to go. Loses his temper and pretty much like tells her, I'm the authority here. We're continuing. You need to make this adaptation. And there can be no even whisper that there's a weakness or doubt in your mind. Yeah. And she just goes with it. Yeah. And you get to see that Luthen's always in control. And that's it's it's a very small amount of control because of the, the stranglehold that the Empire has at this point in the like history. But everything he touches is is being managed. It's be it's not chaotic, and I'm curious to know if that goes a little skew with Cassian becoming sort mm-hmm. of like maybe number two to uh, to Luthen, but I don't think he's actually telling. Uh, what is her name? Vel. Uh, Vel, yeah. I don't think he's actually telling Vel that Cassian is expendable because he wouldn't have gone through much, through so much trouble to get him if he could have just bought another cheaper mercenary that meant nothing to him for this exact job. I think he is putting her mind at ease mm. because of the situation, because the abruptness of it all. But I, there, there's just so much value between the in just the very short relationship that Luthen and Cassian have built that I wouldn't, I wouldn't even betray Luthen's trust at this point because of how much he has going on and how much he knows exactly what's going to happen before it even happens. Yeah. It's a good point. It makes me think of the risk that he took going to Phoenix. Um, is it Phoenix? I keep on. I'm sorry. I keep calling it Phoenix, like Phoenix Shand. Yeah. It's, it's Ferrix. Yeah. But it's a risk that he takes going to see him face to face. Now knowing more about him, what we learned about this episode, the fact that he traveled out there to meet somebody in basically sort of an uncontrolled. Everything he's doing is controlled. We see that also when he when with the scene when Mon Mothma. We'll get to that, but everything he does, he even says it to to Cassian in the third episode. Right, never carry anything that you don't control. Um, rule number two: build your exit on your on your entry. Yeah, so he's constantly prepared, always ready, and the fact that he went out and met him on this planet is a risk in and of itself. So, it, to me, it seems like it, it lends the weight 
to how much he wants Cassian to be in the fold, right? So yeah, he's he is playing Vel to the point where he he needs to convince her to accept him. And I really liked the part where he gave her no room for excuses. He said, lead, just lead. She says, well, what if they do this? He says, then you lead, right? Like, figure it out. I've put you in this position for a reason. Now figure it out. So that's, you know, no nonsense, no nonsense, no excuses. So we jump back to Blevin, who we met on Coruscant, but he's not on Coruscant. And this was sort of the part I was looking forward to after watching episode three, which is the fallout back on um, on uh, uh, on on Ferrix or pre um, preox Morlana, really, because they're back at their corporate headquarters, right? So he's got those three guys lined up. He's got Cyril. He's got Linus. He's got the boss that told him not to do this. He's got them lined up and he's reading them the riot act and he's just right. They, these guys are like shrinking into their skin without visibly shrinking into their skin. And he cleans house. Linus tries to say something, right? He puts his hand up. What does Blevins say? He looks at me. He's like, seriously, like read the room, buddy. He even, um, I don't know the boss's name. I didn't write it down, but he tries to plead his case. Like, I had nothing to do with this. And he flips it on him, too. He's like, well, you didn't have anything to do with this, but you should have had something to do with this because of your negligence, this happened. Yeah. Right? Oh, man, that was... He's he he's the kind of boss you don't want to be standing across from uh, in that scenario. So that's just a real quick... Um, it's a real quick scene, but I found it very effective. And again... Uh, Kyle Soler, who is the actor for Cyril Karn, his face tells every, tells us everything we he says. Do you know? Do you want to guess how many words he speaks in this episode, Cyril Karn? I'm not sure. He says one word in the episode. Now he's not in the episode a ton, but he's in it enough, and he has, he says one word. What's the word? Mother. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when he goes... Uh, anyway, so we'll get to that point in a second because there's something there, too. But he doesn't need to say anything. And it made me think back to the kids on Canari. We don't know what they said, but they're telling us the story through visual storytelling, and it's they do such a good job of it. Again, with this one, Cyril, his face says everything. He is dejected. He's, he's angry. He's embarrassed. Uh, and, man, it's all coming through his face, and that's amazing. So we find out, we go back to um, Aldani, we find out that this group that they're meeting up with, there's going to be seven of them, including Cassian, and that they're actually going to (laughs) not just steal the payroll, as Cassian thought, but it's actually involving a garrison, having to attack or infiltrate a garrison. And Cassian doesn't like that. We see, obviously, the odds are are very bad. Worse than what we were led to believe even beforehand. Uh, and I thought that it was an interesting setting, right? That they're walking through this super long, super remote place. And, and Cassian is getting to know more about what's going on through Vel. Um, but after that, just right after that, we go back to Dedra. And she's going through data. She's going through... Um, some information, she realizes that this Starpath unit that was referenced in the previous scene in the ISB is the Starpath unit she's been looking for. So now she's got a vested interest. She wants to get in there, and she basically tells her assistant, go put a request in so that we can get access to this raw data. Uh, and then we jump over to we jump back to Luthen and he's back on his wonderful ship that you love so much. And we get to see another side of Luthen, which was actually becoming very popular on Twitter. Uh, when he gets into his disguise, we, <laughs> we see him put his wig on. We see him put his flashy purple robes. We see him put his uh, fancy bracelets and rings. He's got a mirror and all that was really hidden away in the ship, which was, I thought was pretty cool. And then he strikes a pose. Like he gets into character. That's what's getting really popular on Twitter. Like people are starting to get that and make that into a meme already. I love it. 
Yeah, that that's exactly what I was thinking, and I thought the same thing. Where it's he's getting into character. Yep. He's probably not comfortable being that guy. Probably not. It reminded me a lot of like Lando, where he's needing to have this status to fit in and make sure that he can be a little extravagant and and look and play the part. While Lando, that's him. That's just who he is, right? <laughs> yeah. This isn't Luthen. You see Luthen, and I believe that that's authentic Luthen walking through, trying to find Cassian, and then him on his ship and stuff. While this, this is sort of just like his his segue to yeah. get to Mon, right? And get this either payment or information, whatever it is that day. And getting into character is the most important thing. So that the facade doesn't just drop and everything falls apart, you know? Right. And and I thought, and we even see it again in the scene with Mon Mothma, where they go from one character to another. And they do, they make a point of showing us, like, they literally have to change their face to get them in this headspace where they need to be. And... I'm gonna I'm gonna bite my tongue there for a second because I want I'll, we're gonna talk about the scene with uh, Mon Mothma where I think it would be more appropriate to share my thoughts in, on that subject there, but just to just to sort of speed through things uh, to that point, um, we get a, we get some Aldani uh, backstory. So uh, Lev and and Andor are still walking through the wilderness. I think they stop for some water. She explains to them how the Empire has arrived there on that state, on that planet too. And although they didn't destroy the planet like they did on Canari, or at least, you know, strip it of its resources, they did force the locals to relocate. So those hills, those, those valleys used to have, you know, local Aldani people there, but now they've all been forced to relocate to the south, which I just think is another effective way to show the effect of the Empire on the galaxy and that really they leave no stone unturned. If there's something that they can exploit, they're exploiting it. And if humans or an, or animals or nature or other alien races get in their way, none of that matters. And it, that that is an exact reason why they have a full day's journey to get from the ship back to the group because they want to make sure they're creating that distance and not just having everything in one centralized area and easily just dissipated. And... It just shows you how thorough this plan is and how they need it to go perfectly to plan. And we know in Star Wars, like, (laughs) never goes that way. So I'm anticipating either it's going to go perfectly and it's going to be a great group with Cassian and that's what it's going to follow. But I fully expect it to be the opposite where they just get the job done and either have some casualties or they don't. But I just really like each and every individual in that new group that you see Cassian or Clem with yeah. um, because they all serve their own purpose. And without jumping ahead too far, they are like, they're checking him. Yep. Then not only are they saying, are you legit? But it's, are you going to do what you need to do? Because we sure as hell are. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And the only thing really that happens before that, and we'll get into that group right now. The only thing we see before we get to that group is that, De- that Dedra and Blevin now have entered into this power struggle because she, uh, her assistant was denied the data that she wanted. She goes to see Blevin. He basically tells her, I like the line where he says, you know, be careful while you're climbing the ladder. And then as she's walking out, he basically yells, don't look down. Right. So, you know, he, he's got a lot of power in that situation. He denies what she wants. Who knows why, you know, maybe he's just being, uh, uh, yeah, macho Imperial, you know, pulling rank kind of thing. But so, I almost thought of like Game of Thrones or House of the Dragon because in the imperial side of the story, we've got some political maneuvering now where people are obviously the imperials do not value the individual. They never have. And but now we're seeing a different side of it where they're where ambition could play a part in these two characters. And I thought that made them very interesting. But let's go ahead and get to the group that we meet. How many? I, I said 12. Right, we were introduced to twelve new characters in this episode alone, not new characters to Star Wars because obviously Mon Mothma uh, and Cassian Andor were here. But as far as the Andor series, we were introduced to twelve people in this episode. There were ten people in the previous three that we were in. So this episode was massive. This show is epic in scale. It's got so many characters already. Four episodes through. 
and we've we've got I don't know over twenty characters, and that's incredible. Uh, so a big chunk of those characters are this group that they meet in Aldani. Uh, we meet <laughs> the guy that's mm-hmm. fallen asleep on the job, which uh, <laughs> which I thought was pretty cool the way that they brought that up because we just see the sleeping guy and then a blaster pokes in his face and you hear the blaster charge up and you know he realizes he stepped in it. Uh, his name is Karis Nemec. They call him Nemec in the show. Um, and he is actually scolded by Arvel Skeen, uh, who, who name drops Saw Gerrera, where he tells him, you know, if you're working with Saw Gerrera or these guys or that guy, they're going to put their, your head on a spike if, if you do that kind of stuff. Um, then we meet uh, Terraman, who is the first person we see in the camp, uh, who is carrying a blaster and immediately starts to question uh, the arrival of uh, Cassian, a.k.a. Clem. We then meet the medic. Her name is Cinta. And immediately we just see, like you referenced, the tension in this group and how they've been planning meticulous stuff, going slow, investing time for who knows how long, maybe years, uh, and then all of a sudden, three days before the big day, this new person is introduced and it really rattles their cages. Yeah, I, we don't have an exact timeline of how long they've been probably doing jobs together, but they do mention that months they've been doing this exact one, planning for this one. And then three days before it's all supposed to go down, they're now supposed to rely on Cassian to help them escape. I don't know if I would be able to trust that, but if someone in sort of the authority figure like Vel um, told me, I would, you sort of have to at that point. You don't really have a choice. But I respect them nonetheless Mm -hmm. because they, this is their livelihood. If this doesn't go well, like start to chisel at the headstone, right? But if it does, who knows? It's going to pay dividends. Maybe it's going to create a really good relationship. Who knows? But um, each of them, has their own duty and each of them you can see it just within the small amount of time in the episode they're all doing it very well they have the little model that they're going to like visually see how everything is going to play in Mm -hmm. and you get to see um who's the guy who's falling asleep oh yeah uh nemec nemec He's like, okay, let me take this part off. It's a little, yeah, it's a little delicate. (laughs) And you can tell he's put a lot of time into building that, but he definitely seems like he may be the youngest and like least experienced, but you can tell he wants to do everything in his power to make sure it gets done. And that's the same thing for all of them. And, um, at the end, I don't know if you want to go there already, but let's pause on that because there's, there's a big scene that happens between now and then uh, that, you know, we'll spend some time talking about that sort of campfire scene that they have near the end. Uh, but one of the things that happens at, right at the end of when they meet all together for the first time, uh, Nimick said something that I thought was interesting where he sees he said that he feels that um, he feels Cassian's belief in the cause. And I thought it was interesting because so far still in this show, uh, no stormtroopers. There's a there's a reference to Kyber Crystal, which is sort of in the world of the Jedi and the Force, but it's not something that's in every scene. This is and this is a time where the Force and the Jedi have been shoved off into the corners of the galaxy where they're hiding, so it's become you know invisible to many people. Uh, I don't even know if they're trying to do a little wink and a nod to the Force by saying he feels something, but I felt it. I felt that, and I think that that was cool. I like. The fact I like how it was handled because they've modeled this show and they've been very apparent. They've been up up front with it that this is not, you know, the Skywalker saga. This is not the Jedi. This is the the common person's story of the galaxy. And if they're going to change directions, then they're sort of betraying the way the story they want to tell. But I liked how they handled that, because if it's a feeling, if it's the force or not, maybe the guy is just you know, good at reading people. And I just thought that that was really interesting uh, to see. Um, But actually, I think I skipped over the scene where Cyril goes home and he arrives back on Coruscant. So he's at Coruscant. And there's only two quick things I wanted to point out. The spaceport that he arrives in 
is actually McLaren's um, headquarters in London. The car company or automotive company. Yeah. So that really fancy, futuristic looking spaceport, that's not digitally recreated. That's like the headquarters of McLaren in in London. Yeah. Uh, There's it's going around on Twitter where you can see a side by side where somebody uh, posts a picture of McLaren's headquarters and you can even see the cars and stuff in there. And they post it right next to that scene in, in on Coruscant. And uh, it, yeah, it's same place. That is very cool. Yeah, so really uh, interesting futuristic um, type of place. Yeah, but he shows up and I, I don't know. I, I guess it tells us a little bit about, about Cyril that the first thing his mom does to him when she sees him open that door, she gasps and then slaps him and then immediately hugs him. <laughs> so... I don't know. We'll, we'll see if we get any more of a uh, insight into that. But yeah, not not the most welcoming mom there. Uh, and that's where he does say his one line in the in the show, which is where he says "mother." Um, so let's talk about the scene where where Mon Mothma shows up. So now Luthen has arrived back at his place. He's off. He's obviously like an antiquities dealer, uh, or you know, some type of. Um, like a museum. I don't know. You know, he's obviously selling things. Uh, but as soon as I saw this scene unfolding, I realized, I said to myself, I'm going to have to rewatch the scene and I'm going to have to not pay attention to anything except for the stuff that is sitting around him. Uh, w- let's hear what you had to say. What, what do you, what did you think about the scene when Mon Mothra arrives? He's got a new, a new driver. Uh, and though also we learn, uh, we, we meet a new character, another new character and her name is Clea. Uh, I um, I don't know. Is she related to Leia? Does that work like that? I don't know. Do they just put a K in front of her? Her name is Clea at any rate. So what did you think? I'm I'm glad you mentioned Clea because I couldn't remember her name, but that's the person I wanted to talk about first. And you can see that Luthen has a trust in Clea. Mm-hmm. She's, I would assume that she runs the show when he's away, yeah. and he seems to be away a lot. But he, he she automatically kicks it into gear with the new driver. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, let's distract you. They got some business to do. And it's inconspicuous. Yeah. You, you Like, if you were in that driver's shoes, you wouldn't think twice. You would just think, oh, we're two broke people who can't afford a damn thing. <laughs> Let me just look at this stuff because I'll probably never have a chance to do it again. The trust that you have to have in that scenario to have s- such a high-profile person like Mon in the shop or in the gallery, whatever you want to call it, and just be just absolutely calm, cool, collected, that's huge. Yeah. You can see the tension. You oh. can see the fear in Mon Mothma's eyes. Like, yep. she is probably fearful for her life. Yep. And you see that later in the episode as well. But Luthen still has his his agenda. He still wants to get the stuff done and get some clarity. But just for that that very quick scene, it felt like, there was a lot that they threw at you. Yes, absolutely. So let me throw a few of the things that they threw at us. And then I'll just talk, give you my thoughts about it. But um, there's a lot of things and they're all, you know, hitting the internet and these breakdown kind of recaps and whatnot. But there's only a couple things. I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff, a lot of cool stuff in that in that shop. But there were two things that that stood out to me uh, immediately. And the first thing that I saw was the wall, the fragments of wall or door that we got to know in Rebels that led to the world between worlds because they had these, you know, fragments of like, it looks like rock and it's clearly, I mean, it's not even close. It, they, it's clearly the hands from the father, the daughter and the son that represented the, the force from the, um, the Ark, uh, whose name is escaping me. Uh, from the Clone Wars. But anyway, wow. so you know what I'm talking yeah. about. So that is sitting on some display um, in that shop. And it's that sort of... so cool. Yeah, yeah, that is really cool. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and try to start saying, oh, we're going to, you know, this is going to lead down some path or something. The fact, though, that he's in possession of this is, I think... Incredible. It is. <laughs> and very important, yeah. too. Uh, because that supposedly was destroyed. That gate... So is this another gate or is this that gate? Anyway, it's just cool. I just think it's it's so neat and a fun nod. They don't even make a point to point it out. It's just there. Uh, the other thing that I thought was awesome is there's a Calicori, uh, like uh, Hera had 
that is her family, basically her family heritage, her this Calicori, yeah. Um, and there's a Calicori sitting there. It's much. It looks much different. Where Hera's was more like wood based, yeah. um, this one looks more metal, and it's but it's definitely a Calicori. It's the exact same shape. Uh, it's constructed the same way. And oh man, I just it's things like this that I just makes me appreciate the whole story and all the work that goes into it. I'm really glad that it still looks like a Calicori. But it's different because there's different tribes, there's different families, yeah, there's different exactly. history. There's no need for them all to be the same. You just build it and you just continue to to adapt it. And that's what we learned about it when they introduced it in Rebels. And I, I didn't know that was even in it. That is so cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah there's, there's a lot more, that, but I'm not. we're not going to go into it too much. The other one that I thought was really cool was on a shelf. There's a, uh, a Jedi and a Sith holocron. Uh, so there's the um, the like one that's the the Jedi is a cube and then the Sith is the triangular type of thing, uh, which you can purchase at Galaxy's Edge in Disneyland and Disney World. Uh, but yeah, so that was on there. Uh, super cool because that had a lot to do with Rebels too. Uh, there was a you know, uh, <laughs> uh, holocrons had a very impactful to many storylines in in Rebels. So anyway, so there was another nod there. Um, so. But I agree with you. the The conversation, I just felt so bad for Mon Mothma. She, do you think Mon is is uh, is short for Monica? Do you think her name is Monica Mothma? Like, because they used to call Monica from Friends Mon all the time. I think her name is just Mon. It's not Monica Mothma. Monthma. I don't know. Monica Thaw. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're just gonna go with Mon. So Mon Mothma, it just feels like. This poor woman has the weight of the galaxy on her shoulders. It's just, and you can see it. Uh, Genevieve O'Reilly is the actress, and she does such a masterful job of expressing how much tension and how much pressure she's under. I just felt like I was going to crack when I was watching this scene. And they're talking in code. Clea does the whole bait and switch where she takes the driver off, which I thought was super cool. They go into that back room and immediately switch from senator and antiquities dealer to two rebel leaders that what I thought was interesting was that she brought up a person that he, that she feels like she wants to bring into the circle. I don't know who this person is, but it's got to be an important person. If Mon Moth was talking about that person and Luthen wants nothing to do with it, but then seems to soften the stance as they go back out because they know they don't have much time. They can't spend too much time in that back room or else that driver might get suspicious. As important as that conversation is, you can sort of see Mon just sort of relax for a second. She's with a trusted person, and she doesn't have to have that same tension and fear of pretty much her life. She still has to have the important conversation nonetheless, but you sort of see, like, her shoulders sort of relax for a second, and they're going to have this difficult conversation, but it doesn't seem like she's just checking her shoulder the whole time either. So I think that's really important because it's a trusted relationship where they can just sort of have it out with each other and get everything out on the table, but she doesn't have to be fearful. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Oh, it's just, a, uh, the scene was, the scene was reflective of this whole show, which was, it's all dialogue based. It's performance based. There's no action, but it's still, I just think it's stellar. I just think it's very, very good. So we shift back to Aldani. We meet Lieutenant Gorn, who is clearly a person working with the Empire. He's arriving to the Rebels' camp. He's not happy about Clem being there either, and um, yeah, he just he just comes in hot, right? He's just ready to go. Uh, so we we see a little bit more of the same, where you know, uh, you know, I think Vel does a great job of leading, which is what Luthen wanted her to do, and. She's not giving op- options to people when there's no options to give. And she's stepping up and taking responsibility where she has to. And one of the lines I thought was was very effective was when he said, we should have been consulted on this. And she said, on that, we agree. Because she feels the same way, but she didn't give away anything. So she's turned out to be, at least in this small capacity we've seen so far, really good leader, I thought. Um, and then... We get to the, we get to meet Mon Mothma's husband, whose name is Perrin Furtha, another new character that we get to to meet, and Mon Mothma is not happy with him either, because he's put together this dinner, this dinner uh, party 
where people are there that she doesn't want anything to do with. Uh, I I don't know. Do, do you get the feeling that the the husband knows anything about what she's up to as far as the rebellion goes? I genuinely don't think so. I don't think so because he just sort of seems very arrogant. It sort of seems like he's just self-involved and just wants to do what he wants to do and just sees Mon as like sort of like a, a strict motherly figure, which I think is gross <laughs> because yeah. that's his significant other, you yeah. know. But he just seems just almost childish. And like he, if, even if he was told exactly everything that was going on, he would be sort of dumb enough not to believe any of it. Yeah. And he just sort of has his own agenda. Yeah. He, he reminds me of, like, the teenage kid who just wants to hang out with his friends, and he's just going to hang out with his friends no matter what anybody says because they're his friends, you know? Yep. And you can see that she doesn't even feel safe in her own home, yep. which sucks. Yep. And as much as it seems like she's trying to, like, make the relationship work, she's in a full-blown relationship with the rebellion, <laughs> you know? She doesn't have time for that type of stuff. That's uh, very well said. Uh, the word I, that went into my head when I saw him was he's privileged. He's just privileged and he wants to throw parties. That seems like that's a, that's a feeling I got from him. And I, another very effective line, uh, that Mon Mothma said when, when she said that these people have cut off their shipping lanes, how many people are going to starve? Maybe we can discuss that over our third course. Right. And that is the view of a person who sees injustice over a person who doesn't care about that injustice and just wants to hang out with his with his friend on uh, on his friends on his day of days, uh, which is also a term I'm not familiar with. So maybe something new that we've uh, just learned from Star Wars. So, um, yeah, uh, we learned a lot in a very short amount of time. And that's another thing this show does very effectively. Yeah. So then we shift back to Aldani. This is where we get the scene with the models and the plan. We are We are privy to this description of this celestial event that's going to happen. And this has me so looking forward to next week because if if they're going to go all out, even if the mission is a failure, the visuals that they're foreshadowing just sound so amazing. So I am really looking forward to seeing uh, what what we're in, what's in store for us next week while on this planet. E- even if it's just you know the, the mission itself seems like it's going to be very in, uh, intense and interesting to see, but then set against this this event. Oh man, it's it's got me pretty worked up. It's gonna be cool. Um, so that's that's where we see the 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 models and stuff which you were referring to before, which I thought was really cool because usually in Star Wars we see when somebody's gonna do a plan, it's all on some kind of a holographic projector. These guys don't have any of that. They're building things with mud and sticks yeah. and. Oh man, it's just, it goes, it's very effective storytelling showing us where we're at in the beginnings of this rebellion and especially with this group. Um, two final scenes and the last, the second to last is a shift back to um, Dedra and Blevin who are now standing on opposite sides of the room and you have Lieutenant um, uh, Partagaz come in, cuts him right down the middle, goes to his position of power standing in, in, in the middle of that room. They both uh, state their case. Dedra wants the, the the jurisdiction and the raw data, and she's shot down. And he does give her some um, some props, right? You know, he, he gives her, but it's almost just like, you know, oh, you're putting a lot of people in detention. That's good. We're going to give you some more of that work. Doesn't And definitely, I mean, she... He, puts her in her place in a way that is just like power over um, a subordinate. And he's very dismissive in that regard. And he just seems like he is just the ultimate bureaucrat and that he holds power over his subordinates and he likes it. And that is just creepy to me. I, I, you know, he was very effective in making me not like him, <laughs> uh, but she does not get what she wants. Blevin wins again. Uh, so we're, we'll see what this turns into because she is not going to take this sitting down. And she does not seem like the character type of character that's just going to let this go away. And that'll be an interesting juxtaposition against um, against uh, Cyril, who also would not let something go, and it turned out bad. So we'll see how this goes. 
finally, last thing we see is uh, the campfire scene on um, on uh, Aldani, and I believe that it was uh, uh, Terramin comes with like this data pad, gives it to Cassian while he's trying to eat, and he's just like, "You got to learn about the ship. You got to learn about some um, some of the language." And I can't remember what the third thing was, but there was three things. And they're like, yeah, and learn it by morning. And the he's, map. oh, the map. Yeah, thank you. The map of the uh, the terrain. And he's just like, I can't eat my food. <laughs> like, he's yeah. like, come on, people. That's sort of what I was alluding to earlier. And he just wants to eat his meal. But when he asks that, it's like an insult to everybody else. Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? You'd rather eat your floozy little meal right now. You have all of this stuff to learn in the next couple hours. Yeah. And we already know all of this. We're ready to go, and yeah. we're relying on you. And you want to sit here with your feet up and eat a meal? Yeah. Like, that just shows you how serious and how dedicated these yeah. guys are. And it's just across the board. Yeah. Uh, that feeling, uh, very well put, is like, uh, you don't get it. You're not getting this. Like, we've told you what the plan is, and you're still not quite in the headspace that we're in and where you need to be. So, and... The last thing we see, of course, Lev gives uh, Vel. I'm sorry, Lavelle gives her gives her orders to him about, hey, finish your food, go get checked out on your injury, and have that stuff done by morning. And then she goes off for her first watch. Um, then the last thing we see is Andor's face, and again, in just a a wonderful display of acting prowess, Diego Luna, whose facial expressions alone are worth the price of Disney plus to watch this show. He just has this expression on his face. Like what am I doing here? Why do I have to be here? And I have a lot of reading to do. <laughs> so then we cut to credit. So yeah, another, another episode, no action, a lot of dialogue and man, I get, I just give it, I just give it high, high marks. I, I love watching how the show is playing out. So uh, again, looking forward to next week. Can't wait to see um, any final thoughts before we sign off. I, I like that they've picked up right where they've left off going from episode one to two and so on and so forth. And I'm really excited to see where exactly they pick up because not only is the dinner happening for Mon Mothma it, the next day or later that day, I can't remember. But so is the rest of the, the sequence, the rest of the storylines. It's all in a very short time frame. There's so many different storylines that they're doing a really good job of juggling. But I'm just, I don't even need the action yet. I just want to know what's next, you know? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Uh, I agree. And to know that we've got 12 total episodes and, and uh, we're through four of them. Uh, so we've got so much more. And Look at all the story that we've gotten. And we have, <laughs> we have so many more to go. I do know that the way that they structured this series is that this first, uh, this first season, I think encompasses one year. So if we've, if I remember what I read correctly, if this started five years before the battle of Yavin, it's going to go one year. And then the second season is broken down, I think, into to cover the four, the final four years. Uh, yeah, I know. Give us, uh, you're giving us the thumbs down here. I, I, I would like to see a, a year per season two, but they have a story to tell and I'm trusting that they're going to be doing it in an efficient way. And I do think in this case, it's probably less is more because we know where Cassian's going. We know what he ends up doing. We know what ends up happening to him. Um, uh, and if you try to squeeze water out of a rock too much, then the story's going to suffer. Right. So, and I think that's the most impressive thing about the show. What? what What's the most impressive thing about the show? The fact that you know exactly what's going to happen, yeah. but you're still just like, wait, what's next? What's you're next? still enthralled. Yeah, I agree. Well, we're certainly enjoying it. We're hoping everybody that's listening is also enjoying it and enjoying uh, listening to us talk about it. And thank you, as always, uh, for listening and, and for your support. Uh, so we hope everybody um, continues to listen and enjoy our conversations about Andor and all these other fun things. And as always, thank you for listening. You can find The Colby Cast on Twitter and Instagram at The Colby Cast. If you're wordy, like me, you can send an email to thecolbycast at gmail.com. 
Please subscribe to the show and leave a review on your favorite podcast app or wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is not endorsed by anyone or anything for that matter. It is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the Colby cast, unless otherwise indicated. That'll do, Donkey. That'll do.